Good to see you. Please turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11. We're going to start there this morning. How many of you have learned lessons in your life, and if you were to share them with other people, would save them a lot of grief? Anybody here? We've learned some things, right? And they're meant to be a blessing and to uh, help others to avoid those same problems. See, the law did the same thing for us and is doing the same thing today. And we're going to be, this morning, we're going to be talking about the law and its purposes. And as we look at that, we're going to see what the law is for. We're going to see what it does and where it leads. Because last week we talked about moving from legalism to walking in grace. And what that looked like and what legalism was and how we walk in grace. And today we're going to go back a little bit and we're going to talk about what the law is, who it was for, what it does and where it leads. So let's pray. Father, I thank you as we... Dive into your word together this morning. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray that we'll see what you have said. And Father, I pray that we'll come to an understanding of the law and its purposes. And what the future holds for us. And so, Father, we just ask that we will hear your voice this morning. That you'll connect with our spirit. That you'll speak to our mind. And Father, that our feet will be willing to obey and that we will actually follow your lead, knowing that that's really the only way for us to go. Thank you for what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we talked a little bit about legalism and what legalism is. Legalism essentially is the idea of me doing something to be in favor with God or to increase or improve my relationship with God. And so, and that's sold a lot. If you do this, you'll be like God. That's what was sold in the garden to Eve when she was actually already created in the very image of God. And so the church has kind of somewhat done the same thing. Now that you're a Christian, you have to go do all these things instead of listening to the Holy Spirit who's actually going to lead you into all those things anyway. And so what happens from the law is when you lay a law down, it brings death. And I don't know if any of you have had that experience with your New Year's resolutions. Anybody here ever made a New Year's resolution? Anybody here ever kept one past February 1st? (laughs) Because the law brings death. It doesn't work. That doesn't work. So grace brings life and peace. And we know that. And so as we demonstrate grace, as we talk about what God has done, as he's leading you and he will give you the desire, he will lead you exactly where to study scripture, to pray. He'll burden your heart as you begin to listen and understand how to listen to his voice about how he's using you in the lives of other people. And so understanding the law is important because it's really easy to come back. And there's a lot of discussion in Scripture, uh, even in the New Testament under grace, about what the law was for. And we're going to look at we're going to look at several passages on that this morning. And so when we approach, so who is the law for? When we approach the law, it's important that we understand that that we don't just take it and um, 
uh, not understand God's who it's for and what its purposes is. And First uh, Timothy chapter one and verses eight through eleven says this: But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so we learn from this passage that the law is not made for believers. It's not meant for believers. It is for unbelievers. Well, how do we know that? It tells us right here that it's not for a righteous person. When you come into a relationship with Christ, He imputes His righteousness to you. You are given the righteousness of God. It's not something you do. You're not righteous because you do righteous things. We don't, we don't become a, a cat because we meow. We do the things of who we are, which creates the problem for us in believing this truth, because sometimes we still sin, right? We make that choice. The problem for that, we talked about this about three weeks ago, is we still have a flesh that's not been redeemed. Our flesh has cravings. And if we give in to that, then we're going to sin. But if we give in to the spirit of God, then we avoid that. And so he here, the writer is addressing us saying that the law in its intent was not made for those who have been made righteous. Now, does that mean that the lessons and the truths found in it aren't good advice and uh, sound doctrine and good teaching and we learn about God and, and that there's direction even for our lives in there? That's not what I'm saying. There was a purpose to the law and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But who was the law for? It says here, it is for the lawless, rebellious, ungodly, sinners, unholy, and profane. And so if we attempt to apply rules and regulations to become more godly, we are fundamentally, we are admitting that we fundamentally do not understand godliness. Because we don't become more godly by what we do. We become godly because Christ lives in us. And when we come to understand that, we become the, to understand that we are joint heirs with Christ. We're united with Him. That there's no separation from Him like there was, like uh, the, unity, the unity shared with Him and the Father. Then that changes. If we consciously understand that and walk in that direction, that itself changes what we do. We change because of who we are. Not to become. Y'all follow me? It's, it's, we've almost done this backwards. And so the law was given to target those who don't have a relationship with Christ. That's what it was, that's what it was, uh, who it was targeting. But what does the law do? It's a good question. So it was targeting those without Christ. What does it do? Romans 5.20 says this. Now listen, before we jump in here, I want you guys to stay with me. 
Because I'm going to answer the question you're going to have immediately as we read this. I promise. I'll, at least I'll do my best to do that. Because when I first heard it, I was like, what? And I'll ask the question. I'll put it out there. So stay with me. Romans 5.20 says this. The law came in so that the transgression would what? Increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so, why? This is the question that I had. And I was like, what? Why would God want sin to increase? Doesn't that seem, doesn't that seem contrary? Did anybody else have that question? When I, why would God do that? What a terrible God. <laughs> it, gives you, it gives you this moment where you go, that doesn't jive to me. Right? That's what it says though. It was given so that, uh, so that sin would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. See, here's the deal. Here's what, here's what the law did. The law, here's the answer. The law targets the self-righteous man who thinks being good is sufficient to honor God and arrive in heaven after death. And so clinging to this belief will destine him to hell and God wants him to realize how truly sinful he really is. See, understanding that we're sinners is grace, folks. But if I think that I'm okay, I don't need a savior, do I? And so sin increases so that I can see that I actually have a need. Do y'all follow me? It's not a bad thing for me to realize that I have a problem. And admit it to myself. Now, I'm going to go back for just a moment. We've talked about this. When we talked about the two trees. There were two trees in the garden. Well, there was more than two trees in the garden. There were two trees in the garden that are named. They're not named Bob and Martha. They're named the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Y'all remember that from Bible class? And in one, life is found. And in the other one, what is found? Death, right? That you eat of it, you die. But that tree is the knowledge of two things, not just one. It's the knowledge of both good and evil. And so as I come to know, if we, we would all say, as I come to know evil, that's bad and that's sin. But if I come to know good, how am I dying because I know good? The reason I'm dying is because there's no life in that tree. It's found in Christ only. And so there's a lot of good moral people who don't have a relationship with Christ that are going to be surprised one day. Because salvation is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. There is only one way to heaven and His name is Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. It is not about being good. And the worst thing we can do is have self-confidence in our own goodness to make it to heaven. That is self-righteousness and it will fall short. That's why that tree brings death. And so as long as we embrace that, as we embrace that, we just got to pursue good. Jesus said, there's none good, no, not one, when they were talking about him. Because it's not about being good, it's about being in relationship with Christ. And when we're in relationship with Christ, the things which flow out of us as we're obedient 
are the things of Christ and are the journey that he has set for us from the foundation of the world. That's the journey. And so that's why he had to give the law so we could realize how sinful we actually are. Because we kind of want to tell us each other, we're good, I'm okay, you're okay. We're all good. We do that when we go to church. How you doing? I'm fine, you're fine, everybody's fine. And the truth is sometimes, you ever lied in church before? You ever told somebody you were fine when you weren't fine? Yeah? You ever argued in the car on the way up to church and then you go in and everybody's smiling? Or you ever have a fight at home and somebody knocks on the door and then everybody's all nice? Hi, Isaiah. Right? I'm sure that never happens to y'all. But if we're going to be honest and we're going to look at what the truth is, that's why he had to show us that. That's why he gave us, he showed us all the things that we fall short of. And so it had to increase for me to realize that I needed Jesus. His goal was not to increase sin. His goal for us was to increase our understanding and knowledge that we're actually sinning. And so the understanding changes. And so grace did much more about it. See, Rome, let me read... Uh, Understanding you're a sinner is grace, folks. That's God's grace. Romans 7.13 says this. Therefore did that which is good become a cause of death for me. May it never be. Rather it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin. By effecting my death through that which is good. Through the law. So that through the commandment. Sin would become utterly sinful. There it is. There it is. Through the commandment, sin becomes utterly sinful. We've talked about that before. If I were to put a stool out there, right by that back door back there, and I would say, nobody touch that when you leave. There's something in you that wants to touch it, isn't it? Yeah, did anybody just go, do it, I'll touch it. <laughs> you know, whatever we're told not to do, we absolutely don't want to do. There's just something about it. When it's a forbidden fruit, we went, well, what does that fruit taste like? Listen, I forbid you to eat pomegranates. Now we all want to know what they taste like, right? I mean, that's just how it works. And so it became utterly sinful, not because of the commandment, because the commandment was bad, but because of sin. And it was revealing what was there in our understanding and our connection with that. And so most people don't realize how deceptive sin is until it's revealed how bad it really is. See, when we, when we can see our sin, then we can see our need. That was his point. See, I don't understand that I need a Savior until I understand that I'm a sinner. That's the beauty of the story of Mary. She rejoiced in God, her Savior. Mary was a sinner that needed saving. And his name is Christ. And so the law... Made us aware of our sin. But where does it lead us? Galatians, excuse me, 3, 24 and 25 says this. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. So that 
we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The law did its job. We're no longer under, we don't need to be instructed how sinful we are anymore. But boy, there's something in us that said, I mean, there's, there was even songs written. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, there's an old story about a, this, <laughs> this was a small Baptist church. I was just talking about a small Baptist church with my new friends. And uh, this guy was up there preaching and he was saying, all oh, the members of this church are sinners. And he was letting them have it. And one guy was sitting in the back. He was just smiling and smiling. And then that kind of bothered him. So he just kept driving it home. And then after the service, he asked him, he said, why are you smiling? And he goes, because I ain't a member of this church. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm completely thrown off. Oh, we, oh. But the good news is this. When you come to faith in Christ, now get ready. Buckle up. When you come to faith in Christ, are you still a sinner? What does the Bible say about your sin? It's separated as far as the east is from the west. Do they ever meet? No. Aren't you glad he didn't say north and south? We'd go to the poles and see all of our sin. So they never meet. We never see our sin again. It's gone. How much of your sin did Jesus die for? All. Everything? Yeah. Did he take all of it? Yeah. We're separated from our sin? Yeah. Are you a brand new creation in Christ? Yes. Yes, but? Yes, but nothing. Right? And so if I'm completely separated from my sin, I'll never... Jesus can't have fellowship with sin. It happened one time. And that's when he became sin for me. How can the perfect become sin? How can the imperfect become righteous? Same way. Never in scripture. And I challenge you, study it. And if you find a verse... I will stand here and say, I was wrong. This is what God's word says. Never are people who have come to faith in Christ ever called sinners again in scripture. That's something we have done. Because we still give into it sometimes. See, we become saints. We become set apart. We become a part of the family of God. We're adopted. But pastor, I sometimes sin and sometimes I actually like it. Well, of course you'll like it. You wouldn't do it if you didn't like it. Let's just be... I sometimes sin and I like it. Does that scare you? It shouldn't because you do the same thing. But it's not who I am. It's something I did. Just like meowing don't make me a cat. And I'm not going to demonstrate that for you. We, in this 
especially in this country, associate behavior with identity. What's the first question you ask when you meet somebody, usually? Hey, my name is Mark, and what do you do? Isn't that funny? Why do we do that? You ever wonder? Because we're programmed that what somebody does is kind of who they are. And if they give you one of these, um, uh, well, I'm a software engineer. If you're a software engineer, your eyes light up. My eyes gloss over. Because I'm like, oh, you're about to give me like a bunch of acronyms and things that I don't even understand. I barely can work Facebook, to be honest with you. I'm not technical. I can't even say it. <laughs> advanced. I'm not technologically advanced. I'm technologically challenged. But I you know what? Boys and girls, did you know there was a time in this world that the internet didn't exist? I grew up when we actually bought encyclopedias and we had to look up the answers and do study that way. Now you can get them for a dollar. <laughs> Remember the encyclopedia salesman? I'm completely off the rails here. So whoop, I almost went off the rail. And that's how life worked. That's how life worked then. And now it's just, it's everything's by technology. And thank God for the 13-year-olds who can fix our phones and our iPads. Because that's just how it works. And if you're not 13 yet, we're counting on you. Keep growing it. And so the law, listen, you, if you receive Jesus Christ, you're no longer a sinner. When you still sin, it flies in the face. Why would we still sin if we've had forgiveness? And it's because we're listening to our flesh instead of the Spirit of God. Well, but we're always going to still sin. You ever heard that one before? You ever told yourself, well, I'm just always going to struggle with that. What about Hebrews 11 where it says there's a sin that does easily beset us. That gave me so much comfort because it allowed me to continue my sin that I liked. Right? Well, we're always going to do that. Do you have the ability to walk in the Spirit of God? Yes or no? As a Christian. When you're walking in the Spirit of God, can you sin at the same time? No. So, you have the ability to not sin. Because we can do that moment by moment every moment. You just admitted it. Whoops. <laughs> That's how it works. So, we actually, when Jesus said we actually have victory over sin, we actually have it. What a concept that Scripture is true. They don't start saying, well, man, I must really be bad then because, I, you know, I still, no. It's part of the journey. As God begins to peel off the layers to use you, because everybody in here, I don't care who you are, whether you've been here a million times or this is your very first time, you are created in the beauty and the majesty with what God intended for your life to be used in this moment in history. And when He fills you and empowers you and you listen and obey Him, all of that comes alive. And that's our goal. That's my goal. That's my heart for you. If I can connect you with Him where you're walking with Him and you're seeing the power of God fall on and through your life and people's lives are being changed and they're hearing what God has for them and you're sharing your journey because you're walking with Him and I could just disappear, then I've been successful. 
Actually, he's been successful. I just happen to be there. What a, what a cool place to be. The goal is you and him. Its goal is you and him. And so the law, so where does it lead us? It lead, the law leads us to Christ. The law leads us to Christ. So how does it do that? See, the law teaches us how sinful we are so that we realize we need grace. We talked about that. We respond in faith to Christ and are justified. See, the, <laughs> the law did its job and we don't need it. Romans 7, 1 through 5 says this. Or do you not know, brethren? Now who's he talking to? It's not a trick question. Brethren, those who are saved. And I'm speaking to those who know the law. So there's Christians who know the law, right? That the law has justification, sorry, jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living, but if, if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning her husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were, what? Aroused by the law. were at work in the members of our body, which is your flesh, to bear fruit for death. See, we had a relationship with the law and it was bringing us death all the time because it was revealing that we were actually sinful. Now when we come into a relationship with Christ, he takes care of all that. Now we're under Him. Now He leads us. We live based upon His grace and His mercy and His justification and His righteousness. The only righteousness that's acceptable to God for us is the righteousness of Christ. Not anything else. It flows out of who we are. Not so we can become, but because we are. And so the law, no, you know, the law no longer has jurisdiction over you. You know, jurisdiction, anybody in law enforcement understands jurisdiction. We used to watch, anybody ever see Dukes of Hazard? Those of you who are a little bit, yeah, you don't have to admit it to you, I know that's an older show. It's like, remember Andy Griffith? <laughs> um, but they would be chasing them, right? Until they got to the county line and they would have to break off the chase because they were out of their jurisdiction. They no longer had authority. Remember that? Get to the county line. And that's what's happened here. The law, once I'm in Christ, no longer has jurisdiction over me. He can't chase me into the county of Christ. The pursuit's over. Because I'm brand new. So we're now under the jurisdiction of Christ. But what kind of leader is he? Let me tell you a little. The law is a taskmaster, isn't it? It shows you how you fail all the time. Let me tell you about Christ. I'm going to leave you with some good news. This is all good news, I think. 
Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And these are some, some there's some cultural comments in here that shed light in this. But see, Jesus invites the weary and the heavy laden. See, that's the results of the law of self-effort. Exhaustion. Have you ever been exhausted as a Christian? Like, man, I'm just tired. I've been there, burned out. I've been there. Because when you rely on self-effort to do it, you absolutely. But the energy that comes from Christ and being obedient to Him never runs out. And so if you're exhausted, that's a fantastic thing. I'm so glad. Because now you can move into what God's actually planned for you. That's the fun thing. That's the joy of walking with Him. And Jesus calls all the weary and heavy laden to come to Him. Which those are the results of self-effort. Jesus tells them to come and He will give them rest. Listen. The service of Jesus Christ is rest. It's not the result of self-effort. It's the result of him in and through us. Didn't Jesus, when he was being tempted, he said, uh, you know, he said, I have food that you know not of. There's something that feeds us when we serve Christ that, that human food doesn't do. Human food feeds the flesh, but there's a food that feeds the soul, right? When you see the hand of God work, or when you're sharing with a friend and they pray and receive Christ, or when you're sharing with somebody and they say, I don't know, I have to think about it. We all feel like bad when that happens, right? But we have the law of sowing and reaping. Some sow, some water, some reap. We think reaping is the only thing that matters. You can never reap something that has not been sown and watered. And if we're used in those two capacities, so be it. So be it. Embrace the fact that God used you in that moment. They don't have to make a decision right there. You know, I was, I'm going to tell you how not to share Christ. I don't know, is there a way to not share? Um, Terry is a good example. She, uh, this is her story, but I'll share a little bit of it with you. She was um, walking out with her friends one night and was on the, the street. And there was a street preacher that they passed by. And he, he, asked, he asked them a question. He said, if you were to die today, do you know you'd go to heaven? And she said, oh, yeah, you know, Terry, you have to know Terry a little bit. She was, she's mellowed some. She was a little spunkier when she was younger. Um, and she goes, yeah. And the street preacher went back and he said, well, how do you know? And she said, well, I just know. And he followed him. How do you know? How do you know? Now, don't do the, don't, don't go out and do this. Unless God tells you to do that. And she's like, I just know, I just know. And they just kept walking and finally he broke off from them. That is not a witnessing technique I would encourage you to try. But when she got home, she asked the, the Lord, the Holy Spirit took that and said, how do you know? 
How do you know? How do you know? Listen. The Lord will use anything to bring us into a relationship with Him. And so He tells them to come and to give them rest. It's the result of Christ and not of self-effort. Then He says, take His yoke and learn from Him. I saw something I have never understood here before. And it totally excited me. I hope it's not too late for you guys to... I know because it's, it's, it's getting close. He says, take my yoke upon you. And that's not, you know, like eggs over easy, like his yoke is easy, right? He says, take my yoke. It's not the yellow thing in the egg. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is a cultural term that talks about oxen. The yoke is what goes on the animal so that it can be controlled by its owner. And so when he says, take my yoke upon you, it is a willful act by the person to do that. We know, I have learned this recently. Some of you know that we had a horse that showed up on our property three times that we've rescued because he was in need of rescue. He was in bad shape when we, when we first met him. And we have, to, we have to put the halter on him at times. But if he don't want that halter, he can keep you out of it. He has to put his head down so you can put that on there. there. What he's talking about here is a willingness to let him control, let him lead. Now, the interesting thing that I had never seen before, and this is so cool, it was cool to me. When you take his yoke upon you, when you're submissive to him, he says, and learn from me. And that's how you train an animal. That's how you train a horse. Is when they put this, they submit themselves to that. Now they can be controlled and trained. Now what is he talking about? Learn from me. So when we submit to that and we take his yoke upon us, we surrender giving him control. He teaches us where he wants us to go. He teaches us about himself. He teaches us how he applies pressure to turn us. You know, they call it in horse training, getting control of the horse's feet so that you can tell it where to go. And so what happens is, is he gets control of our feet by our submission so that we go where he wants us to go. We stop when he wants us to stop. We turn when he wants us to turn. And that's what, it, that's what he's talking about. And so when he says to take his yoke and learn from him, we give him control. And he will teach you. And this is the truth. This is the only way you can learn is by submitting to him. But then he gives us some hope. Anybody here ever had, um, we've all had bosses, right? Well, some of us have had some really good bosses and we have have it other bosses that wouldn't fall in that category, right? When you have a good boss, does it change your attitude and the amount which you're willing to put in? Absolutely does. And so he tells us a little bit about him because we're having to make a decision whether or not we're going to slip into that yoke. And he tells us about himself. He says, for he's gentle and humble in heart. See, following someone like that will give your soul rest. 
who's gentle. Don't you want your boss to be gentle with you? And humble in heart. And if you don't think Jesus is humble in heart, he left the glories of heaven to come here for us. That's humble in heart. He knows what it, he know, he had to go through it. He knows what it takes to submit to something that's even horrible. And it was, and he knew what the cross was going to be like. And he did it for us. So he, he doesn't ask you to do anything he hasn't done. And when his yoke is upon you, it's easy and his burden is light. And an easy yoke, when you put a yoke, if you crank it down on that animal on their face, they don't want to listen. They don't feel the control, the slight movements, because all the pressure is there. But when there's enough gap, they can feel the small movements and they'll know exactly what you want. He's saying, when I put it on you, you're going to be able to hear from me. You're going to understand where I'm leading you. And the burden is light. He doesn't load us up with 17 refrigerators that we have to deliver by 3.30. If you need that, call Dwayne. He'll get that done. Dwayne is a truck driver, for those of you who don't know. He said, 3.30, try noon. <laughs> but the burden is light. The reason the burden is light is because he carries it. Because we're on his journey. And that's where it leads us. That's where it leads us. And so what do I, so what realizations does this lesson or this message this morning bring us to? Let me give you three. Attempting to fix your behavior to be more godly does not work. If we keep pursuing behavioral righteousness, then what does that say about our opinion of the righteousness Christ gave us? We're essentially saying it's not, it's not enough. Accept what Christ did and live a life of gratitude. Live out of gratitude. Let all of the other junk go. Let that junk go. Live out of gratitude. Paul said it was the love of Christ that constrained me to go. Not the cracking of the whip Christ. <laughs> Two. We are more than the sum of the choices we've made over our life. Well, I'll tell you, sometimes we kind of feel like we've arrived where we are because of all these choices that we've made, but you're more than that. You're absolutely more than that. You're everything that God said you are. It's not just the sum of those choices. <laughs> God created us for a specific purpose. Now listen, we need to quit beating ourselves up for things in the past. We need to place all of them into the God's hand and let Him use them. We will anchor ourselves sometimes to the most hurtful, most damaging things that have been done or said to us. And then it controls our behavior. So we essentially take that, that terrible thing and we slip into that yoke and we let it control our future. This seems ridiculous, but we've done it and I've done it too. I get it. Because we're hurt. We're laying over here wounded. You know, we're like the, the in the Good Samaritan story. We're just laying there, waiting to die. Only we have eternal life. 
And sometimes the reason that things are said or done, instead of looking at how hurtful that was, ask God, is there something there for me? Can I hear your voice in the midst of this? But you don't understand. There are some things you write that I don't understand. There's some tough stuff in this world, isn't there? And we all said, but thank God that Jesus overcame the world. That does not define us. Three. If you're having a hard time on your Christian journey, maybe you're not letting the Lord lead. Now, there's two sides to that coin. When we're pursuing the Lord, we're pursuing Him. And I'm and, and this came up recently because somebody asked the question. And I looked at all the men and women who have been obedient to God, submitted and surrendered themselves to God. I, I say I looked at all, but I looked at several of them. And following their obedience, they all faced opposition. They all faced opposition. Even the ones who went willingly. You got those who didn't, like Jonah. <laughs> he still went though. <laughs> and you have the ones who did. Like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was willing. He and went. I'm ready. Let's go. John the Baptist was beheaded. He was thrown in jail. Well, how could that be? Serving God. Because this world hates the truth, folks. Turn on the news. <laughs> they hate the truth. They spin the truth today. Instead of saying what's actually true and just reporting facts, we get all these other opinions. And let me tell you what's true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. There's no separation in this book. We need to fall in love with Him and pursue only that which is true, even if it falls on us and we have to adjust. So be it. Let me be the first one. Because this is either the real deal or it's not. It requires willingness though. You know, I was reading this story about these Marines who they were in training. And they were in this one particularly grueling exercise. Where they were actually dropped off in the middle of England. They were given a spot on a map that was more than 50 miles away, and they were told to get there on foot. Well, this Marine was sharing a story, and they started out, and he knew his friend had trouble with his feet. And so he was walking, and they were, you know, they were laden down with all the stuff that they had to haul. I mean, those of you who served in the military and didn't, Packs at night and packs in the day and packs in the rain and packs in the hot beating down sun. Understand. But they started out and they started watching him start to lag behind. And this was a guy who was he was walking, he had gotten blisters on his feet. And so they offloaded his equipment and they kept walking. He said, No, I will make it, I will go, I'll do it. 
And over a period of time, his feet went completely raw. And he said, I can't do it anymore. And I think the lesson from that story is that's our, that's our spiritual journey. We trust ourselves and we trust in who we think we are for as long as we can until we come to the point where we're no longer able and then and only then do we surrender. Our greatest strength, ladies and gentlemen, discovering why you've been made comes by choosing surrender over bravado. And so that would be my encouragement to you this morning. Let's come under the yoke and the direction of somebody who's gentle and humble. And let him lead our lives. And together, build a church with Jesus Christ in control. Where the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts. Where the world cannot answer what's going on. Where the, they show up and they say, what's happening here? And we just say, his name is Jesus. Amen. It ain't about no preacher. Don't ever say, I go to Mark's church. Because Mark don't have a church. Because Mark didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. And you are the church. Amen. I'm a fellow servant. I'm on my knees with you at this altar. This ain't about me. It's about him. And the calling he's given us as the body of Christ to build a place where people can meet him. Where they might be seeking for one thing, but they find him. And we're called to go. We're called to go. We're called to be there and to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, sometimes my fruit might just be my tears that day. And when you hurt, I hurt with you. When something's bothering you, I can feel it. Because that's what love does. Don't you, can't you tell when something's wrong with your spouse? Just, they walk in the room, you know something's wrong, right? Leave me alone! But you know. We know. Because love knows. We're commanded to love one another and to love Christ. And so this morning, I would encourage you, let's, let's all slip in there together. Let's slip into that yoke and let him take the reins. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.